Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is the Executive Director of Common Calls North Carolina, and that would be Bob Phillips. And Bob, of course, has been with us a number of times. He's been in this job since 2001, and sometimes I think uh, I want to ask him, Bobby, can you can you hold a job? That's that's a long time to be in one job for that long. But uh, uh, I think we probably would be wise to sort of begin, Bob, as we do often, by getting you to explain what Common Calls North Carolina is and what you're all about. Thank you, Don. It's always a pleasure to be with you, too. And indeed, Common Cause, we're a nonpartisan, nonprofit, national organization. I'm the state chapter person. And in a nutshell, it's all about advocating for more open, honest, and accountable government. That translates into better voting laws, ending gerrymandering, lobbying and ethics reform. So one of the hats I wear is going down to the General Assembly and uh, lobbying the North Carolina General Assembly for things we think will be improving democracy for all of us. Well, this is a unique period of time as we were beginning the program. We talked a little bit before. We we are probably in one of the most divisive periods of time we've ever been. And so that's a great uh, uh, time for Common Cause to see what they can do to bring us together to give everyone more confidence in the system. It is. And I can say in the 20 plus years, as you noted, that I've been in this job, I have seen, uh, I guess it's called the toxic partisan divide, widen and deepen. And it's a shame, uh, particularly when I look at the legislature, folks that come, uh, I think most of them for the right reasons, they want to try to do good for their community on behalf of uh, their uh, communities. And uh, they get caught up in it. And sometimes you just see, again, this kind of divisive cloud that is over the legislature and Certainly, it manifests itself in our general society, too. Um, if I had the secret to end it, I mean, I think there are some things that we could do. But um, it, again, it's it's just getting worse. And I, it's really troubling uh, that it is getting worse. And I think uh, so many people who are sort of caught in between have turned to registering as unaffiliates, which complicates the picture a little bit more because it takes them out of being directly involved in a particular party, while, in fact, they probably lean one way or the other a little bit more. That's very true. Unaffiliated voters are the number one registrant in North Carolina. I think that happened earlier this year. And it's only going to get bigger as young people, particularly in large numbers, choose to register unaffiliated as opposed with one of the major political parties. And I think you and I have talked about this, but one of the things Common Cause is involved in is litigation, uh, basically saying that the State Board of Elections, which is the board that administers all the rules and policies of our elections, uh, it's a five-member board, but by law, no unaffiliated citizen is allowed to be appointed to it. We think there should be representation from unaffiliateds. You're right. They do tend to lean one way or the other, but they are increasingly becoming uh, a dominant force in um, (laughs) the voter registrants in our state. Well, what this results in, in fact, and I'm not sure you 
can comment on this because you, as I said, as you have said, nonpartisan organization. But what happens is the partisanship within the party becomes even more uh, critical because uh, as sort of the middle of the road of each party leaves and becomes unaffiliated, it uh, polarizes the parties. It, it does. I mean, and I can comment on this in a kind of an observational, but clearly in the primary elections, the base voters for either party are the ones who are really turning out. And you see even in uh, last week, I guess, when the North Carolina State Republican Party held its convention and the um, the base convention members, if you will, uh, actually votes to censor um, U.S. Senator Tom Tillis. And I think that Don illustrates the point you're making. Um, a lot of people who are in elected offices within the Republican Party have commented they didn't think that was helpful or good, but it is sort of the base of the Republican Party doing that. And on the Democratic side, uh, in the primary elections, it is the usually the further left, if you will, that is uh, participating in the bigger numbers and kind of controlling whom the nominee is in uh, in district elections. Of course, one of the things that essentially a person gives up indirectly is the ability to run for office. If you're an unaffiliated, it makes it very, very difficult to run for office in a partisan election. It, it does. And I think it speaks to both parties need to figure out what they need to do to appeal to the citizens who are deciding I'm not interested in registering with you. That's one thing. The other thing is, and I think there is certainly, uh, I think it could be healthy, is the multi-parties. And we do have, you know, Greens and Libertarians and constitutional parties, but maybe where it's easier for people who are unaffiliated potentially to um, get on the ballot and run. There's That is a position Common Cause certainly supports. But um, parties do need to look inward and figure out what's going on and what they need to do to uh, attract more people to actually register and participate uh, you know, within their own parties. Well, those of you new to North Carolina, uh, by registering as an affiliate, when the primary comes along, you can elect to vote in either party, uh, party's primary. You cannot vote twice. You can only vote one time, but you can choose election by election, as I understand it. Is that correct? That is correct. You can't, um, you know, it's if you choose the Republican ballot, then that's what you're voting and uh, you hear of it sometimes a uh, unaffiliated voter will um you know deliberately choose one ballot because they want to maybe make sure that someone maybe they're a republican leaning voter but they choose a democratic primary ballot because they're wanting to um have their vote go to someone whom they think will lose to maybe their favored republican party i don't know that that happens a lot but that's one thing people talk about sometimes where unaffiliated voters you know, they have that power, but you're right. They can choose either ballot at the primary, but just one, uh, not both. Well, the bottom line, as you pointed out, is it's quite serious in North Carolina now because the uh, plurality of North Carolinians are now registered as unaffiliated. It's the largest single group. It is. And, you know, it's important to note, though, and when people are talking about voter confidence and there's some uh, conversations happening on Jones Street, i.e. the legislature right now about maybe voters don't have a lot of confidence in our elections process and we need to make changes. But 
2020 was a record voter turnout year for North Carolina, highest we've ever had. 2022 really was not that bad either, a point or two below the 2018, which was highest um, uh, off presidential election year in uh, 30 or 40 years. So we are still seeing good turnout in North Carolina, uh, which is a good thing. We could certainly want to see everyone who is eligible to vote cast a ballot. But uh, uh, again, um, the parties, as I had said earlier, certainly have, I think, work to do to connect with uh, younger voters, particularly who are choosing not to register with a party. Well, it's it's an interesting situation. And uh, uh, now different states vary on how they handle the so-called independent or uh, or uh, unaffiliated voter. North Carolina's system, as we have described, uh, allows you to choose the primary year by year. But uh, some states, as I understand, don't allow you to vote the primaries at all. I think that's correct. I don't have uh, that information in my head. But I think North Carolina, regarding unaffiliated voters, has the best it can be allowing uh, that unaffiliated voter to participate in the primary. Let's change the subject and talk a little bit about uh, what you just said. Uh, there There is some legislation Uh, being considered right now that changes some of the election laws in North Carolina. You want to comment on those? Well, we're concerned. They have been proposed. They're in the state Senate and uh, will probably, as this uh, is um, being broadcast the following week, we expect them to be passed. But essentially, Don, what they do, I think, is they'll make voting a little harder for folks. Uh, A couple things they do is the mail-in voting that is becoming more popular uh you have up until the election day to actually drop your mail-in ballot into a mailbox and if it's postmarked uh it counts and if it arrives at the state board of elections within three days after the election it still counts as long as you have that postmark that uh, says that it was um, dropped in the mail on election day and most states have that, and that law was actually passed in 2009 unanimously. Every Democrat and Republican supported it. But now the three-day grace period is going to be uh, eliminated. That's one thing. Um, and what bothers me or what concerns me is you have someone who decides to uh, drop their absentee ballot in the mail, and maybe they do it a week before Election Day, not the day of, but a week before. But if the U.S. mail loses that letter or it gets delayed and we know that happens i don't think the u.s mail service is what it once was then if it arrives a day late then it won't count so the voter has done everything right they have filled out their absentee ballot they've gotten the two witness signatures which we require and yet they their their vote will not count so just so you know in 2020 uh 12,000 ballots came in within that three-day grace period, and they were fairly evenly divided, unaffiliated, Democratic, and Republican, uh, about 4,000 of each. And if this law passes, those 12,000 ballots would have been tossed and they would not have counted. So that's one thing we're concerned about. The other big uh, uh, proposal of voting that we're concerned about is same-day voter registration, which allows people to register and vote during the early voting, 17-day early voting period. Young people, students use it. New people who come to North Carolina, we're a fast-growing state. We have people arriving all the time. Um, The proposals would be making 
what we call same day voter registration ballots provisional, which is uh, going to make it a little bit uh, harder for these votes to be processed and the potential of them not counting uh, is also there. So those are a couple of the things we see in this bill that would affect voting voters that we're concerned about. And uh, as it stands now, is this legislation being proposed by one of the two parties or both? It's Republicans. It's not going to have any bipartisan support. We're opposing it. We're working with the majority party to try to see if we can make some changes, but um, not certain what the rationale they've said. Oh, it's because we need to do things to instill more confidence. But as I mentioned earlier, um, voters are voting in record numbers. So I don't know really why we are seeing this kind of proposal. Well, that's it, just something to uh, to watch and uh, be concerned about because, as you said, 12,000 people in the last election would have lost essentially their right to vote. That's right. Yep. And uh, we want to see every ballot count. Our guest is Bob Phillips. He's the executive director of Common Cause North Carolina. And uh, we will be back with more with Bob right after we take time out for these messages. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Watch out! They got me! The galaxy is safe once again. In the pretend universe, kids play with pretend guns. In the real world, it's up to us to make sure they don't get their hands on a real gun. If you have a gun in the house, keep it locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Bob Phillips is our guest. Bob has been with us a number of times, and he is uh, executive director of Common Calls North Carolina and has been in that role since 2001. Uh, Bob, of course, cut his teeth as a broadcast journalist. As a matter of fact, was a member of the WPTF news staff at one time and then later served as press secretary for Lieutenant Governor Dennis Wicker when uh, he indeed was the lieutenant governor. Well, uh, Bob, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, money in politics because uh, these days money seems to play a bigger and bigger factor, and so much of it, of course, results in TV ads, radio ads, but a lot of it now is going to social media ads, and we don't, you know, the person only the person who happens to see that particular ad uh, has the benefit of that uh, or is a target of that. Um, 
and there are these super PACs and so-called dark money and so forth. Give us sort of an overview of where this stands. And of course, you can tell us as you do this exactly what concerns Common Cause about money and politics. Well, no doubt it takes money to run a campaign, a statewide campaign, a legislative campaign. But in the time I've been at Common Cause, it's almost breathtaking how much more money now is being spent on campaigns. I've often said this, Don, with you before, but, you know, we have 170 members of the North Carolina General Assembly. They're paid less than $14,000 a year for what is ostensibly a part-time position, but we know it really is beyond that. But that said, we see in North Carolina in some districts that are competitive uh, campaigns that can be more than $1 million for what is a $14,000 a year legislative part-time seat. That's crazy. Who can run for that? I mean, it's not that the candidates are taking a million dollars out of their own bank account, uh, although you can self-finance, as they say. But increasingly, we are having to see candidates do nothing but fundraise all the time. That's a concern because, you know, even though every candidate will say, oh, I'm just, you know, uh, getting money from people who are believing in good in, in government. Um, the perception is, oh, well, they're getting something in return. But indeed, Don, as you mentioned today, it's not just candidates' money, money going to candidates, but it's money going to political action committees. And when the U.S. Supreme Court had their decision called Citizens United, it sort of opened up the um, the doors for uh, corporations and, and multimillionaires or wealthy people to spend unlimited amounts of money on their own uh, for uh, on behalf or against uh, a candidate of, of their choice. In fact, this sort of dark money, as it's called, has become uh, bigger than some of the traditional kind of fundraising that, uh, you know, candidates have done. I'll just kind of close and say, you know, Common Cause, we've long been a believer that there should be some kind of public financing. We all own the elections and we really should have where candidates don't have to go out and chase the money from wealthy donors or, or whatever, but it should be some kind of a public fund. And we actually had that in North Carolina up for about 10 years for the candidates who run for a court of appeals and state Supreme Court. And it was working, but um, special interest money, big money politics, it's its not good. Well, uh, as you said, the, the amount of money and for each individual race in the North Carolina House and Senate, and of course, you, you can multiply that by 10 or 15 times when you start talking about a statewide race for gubernatorial, for the uh, governor's race or the lieutenant's race or any of the council of state positions. Um, there's a tremendous amount of money coming in. And uh, um, it, uh, the, the problem that I have with it and would like your comment on it is, is as you said, uh, um, if we know who it's coming from, uh, that puts a different light on it because we can measure what they say against the position we know they truly have. Uh, but now the other thing that kind of concerns me is the fact that theoretically there's not supposed to be any correspondence or communications between the candidates and the the PACs or the PACs, the political action committees. 
Well, we know that that's not likely happening that way. I mean, there's bound to be some form of, of cooperation or at least acknowledgement of these these ads in most cases. Yeah, I mean, what you have is uh, two things to answer. Uh, the first thing or the, what you said, you often will see like a, a former uh, chief of staff or someone who worked on a candidate's staff or campaign then head up the special pack that's supposed to be independent of the campaign. And you just think, well, gosh, you know that they are communicating in some form or fashion. And the Federal Elections Commission is supposed to investigate all that. They often get deadlocked because they're a 3-3 evenly split board. But there have been some campaigns that have been found guilty of, you know, collusion, if you will, with a PAC, but not often. Um, But the other thing, too, is these um, super PACs can be masked with, you know, Citizens for a Better America. Sounds great. But then the money and where it's coming from does not have to be disclosed. And to your point, we don't know really who's behind the Citizens for a Better America uh, often. And uh, and that's a problem. And I should have said, too, and I think everybody sort of understands this, the more money generally that you see in campaigns, oftentimes the more negative and uh, whatever you want to call, you know, mudslinging we see in a campaign. And I think that does, in fact, contribute to the uh, apathy and cynicism that maybe voters have. We do see, again, strong participation numbers, but I do think people are also kind of turned off by it all. Well, we are in an era where we are being ruled by very short messages, whether they be social media messages or 25 or 30 second uh, radio or TV ads. Uh, I remember back in the 50s when I first got my start broadcasting, we would have 15 minute political speeches on local radio stations. Um, and uh, you really got to know exactly what the candidate that uh, was sponsoring the ad. Uh, felt about particular issues. Of course, they were telling their side of the story, but you got far more detail. Now we probably know more about what people are against than what they are for. Indeed. And, you know, part of that is, I guess one could argue attention spans aren't what they were, but campaigns and uh, political parties spend millions of dollars on messaging and studying, you know, what are the key phrases and words that work and uh, it is what's um, connecting with people and voters as part of our culture today. And it is a shame because I think the number one reason, I don't think this, I know this, political science studies say the number one reason people do not vote is lack of information. In contrast to the 1950s, when there were more long form candidate presentations or appeals to voters, uh, people probably had a better sense of whom they were voting for or who was running for office as compared to today. Um, I mean, I don't want to pick on anyone, but this George Santos in New York, how did that guy get elected? I mean, you know, obviously his resume was uh, not accurate, but uh, surely people didn't really know whom they were voting for or they thought they were voting for someone different. And I think it kind of speaks to your point, Don, that um, short, brief slogans and messages kind of rule the day. Uh, this, uh, tell me about how young people view this, this, this part of the process where they probably have more questions that are unanswered than are answered. Where do they turn? What, what, uh, 
what makes them a Democrat or a Republican or a registered unaffiliate? Well, in our nonpartisan work, we do try to work on campuses and do things that we can help make young people understand they have a voice in this democracy and it matters and that electing uh, a legislator and they may not even know what is that, you know, they may think it's someone in Congress, but it has an impact on their life. We try to make it relevant where we can say these issues are decided by the North Carolina General Assembly and they affect your life, whether it's the funding that, you know, your campus gets uh, to, you know, any, anything and everything uh, in terms of, um, you know, what affects one's life. But um, I do think, again, attention spans, it's it's hard to get anyone's attention, but young people's attention especially. And uh, there's probably a feeling amongst many that everything's corrupt and um, people running for office, um, you know, are not the uh, the most honorable folks, but we try to push back on that, and and we do produce a nonpartisan voter guide that young people or any voter can get on their phone and see the basics. What is this office? What's the purpose of the office? Uh, uh, commissioner of insurance or labor commissioner? You know, what is that? What does that person do? How does that affect my life? It's education, I think, is what's needed, and I just don't think young people, particularly, you know, are really getting it and picking up on it, and. Last thing I'll say, I mean, I know that your question, there's so many ways to answer it. Even civics education in school might be lacking. I don't know, you know, you and I remember when it was, uh, you know, we, we all learned it. Civics was a bigger part of um, our, our academic or our school day. And, and I don't know if it's as much now or not. I mean, I shouldn't say something that I know for a fact, but I think civics education is important as well. Well, the other thing that happens because of the uh, short uh, messages that we see on radio and television and social media is uh, uh, there's a, a tremendous amount of focus on one or two or three top issues. And uh, so you know what a candidate is for or maybe against in those top three issues, but then you know very little about the rest of the issues that they will be dealing with. That's true. And those top three issues are the, you know, I guess you could say red hot issues that they know will motivate or grab attention and sometimes called cultural issues. And we see it all over uh, in the legislature and in Congress. And uh, it does attract and draw someone in, but it indeed doesn't tell much about where a candidate is. But we're almost to a point, too, where if you agree or disagree, whatever that red hot cultural issue is, you're sort of labeled and then a camp. And it's like, OK, you're for this. then that must mean you're also for, you know, A, B and C. And uh, you don't have candidates whom I'll use the, you know, reproductive rights abortion. It used to be where Democrats, there were some pro-life Democrats once upon a time, even in the U.S. Senate. Um, I don't think you'll see that or you see that at all anymore. Um, and uh, in part, you know, it's that these issues, these cultural issues are uh, used in a way, I think, that divides uh, divides us. Well, it is very difficult to uh, to get to wrap your hands around what's happening these days because uh, we no longer have the newspaper. Uh, which we used to kick around and say, golly, Pete, you know, they have too much influence. Now they have practically none at all. How is that changing the overall picture, Bob? 
It really is changing it where people just are not as informed, whether it's just us or even when I was in college, I subscribed to the Charlotte Observer, my hometown. I can't imagine a, a kid today, you know, reading the newspaper. But the other thing, too, Don, is the Capitol Press Corps, the eyes watching the sausage making at the legislature, uh, that's been depleted. Back when I was uh, working for WPTF, there might have been 30 plus reporters working the press room covering the North Carolina General Assembly from all cities and counties across the state or from the major places. Uh, today, I'd say the Capitol Press Corps is down to a handful of reporters at best, and that's harmful. We want more scrutiny. The Fourth Estate, that's its job. Fewer reporters denies the public of that kind of information and watchdog role that the press generally has always played. Our guest is Bob Phillips. We'll be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Bob, of course, Executive Director of Common Cause North Carolina. We'll be back right after these messages. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. I know you won't, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Bob Phillips, Executive Director of Common Cause North Carolina. We're actually talking a lot about uh, the election process. Uh, the Common Cause North Carolina is dedicated to strengthening democracy. It is a nonpartisan group that uh, works in this regard to try to, to uh, build up the confidence of the American public, especially in North Carolina in this particular case with the election process and with politics in general. Bob, uh, you know, one of the things that we mentioned right before the break was the decline of the daily newspaper. We also have the decline of the viewership or the importance of the big three television networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS, the evening news with Walter Cronkite or whoever the current anchors were at the time, seem to have more of a balanced reporting of the news than we have now, because what we've turned out now on television is we have cable channels that are decisively one way or the other. We have Fox that is decisively right wing. We have uh, CSNBC, which is probably representing the, more of the left views. 
there's CNN that sort of switches around, and we're not quite sure where they are, but they definitely take positions. Uh, what's your concern about this? Well, I think you're right. Objective journalism, to the extent that we once had it, is done and gone. And um, even, and Don, I know you and I talk about this, the journalism school, they're not cranking out the kind of students who want to be reporters like they once did because the jobs just aren't there. And what we do see kind of filling in the void as network news and newspapers and such are not what they once were. Um, media sites, if you will, with a point of view, um, whether it is MSNBC or Fox News, or even locally, you may have um, the John Locke Foundation, which puts out the Carolina Journal. And they, if you read them, you know, you kind of see they have a point of view. I'm not saying that the folks there are um, bad writers or whatever, but there's definitely a point of view. And on the other side, uh, the North Carolina, I think they've changed their name. It used to be Policy Watch, NC Policy Watch, but I think it's NC uh, Newsroom. And um, it does, it's a filter of sorts. And I guess we, the citizen, tend to kind of drift into, uh, I guess to use the words, echo chamber that we we want. And it validates, you know, the positions we have. Whereas in the old days, objective journalism was different uh, to the extent that you had it. But those trusted sources, you mentioned Walter Cronkite, and, you know, young people don't know even have any idea who that is, obviously. But um, you felt like you were getting, you know, an accurate uh, story from from those folks who uh, once were dedicated to objective journalism. Uh, and I think it's harming our democracy, unfortunately, I guess. And it contributes to the uh, partisan, toxic partisan divide that we have. So. Um, I, I'm very sorry to see this decline of journalism or this shift that we are now seeing. Well, you know, the thing that sort of bothers me, uh, and I had one congressman tell me, by the way, uh, that uh, he made a point to watch the network. I, I won't mention which congressman it was, but he made a point to watch the the network that was opposed to his views because he said, I want to know what they're thinking. And uh, this is something I've suggested to friends of mine who have very strong feelings one way or the other. I said, well, why don't you watch the other side just for a while, just to get a feeling for what they're, they're thinking? Maybe you might learn something, maybe not. But when you're watching the, the viewpoint that you already uh, uh, believe in or espouse, you're not going to do anything but strengthen your own beliefs. And uh, they could be wrong. <laughs> No, I think it's a very good point, and I actually try to do that myself. And I will say this, too. It appears that, you know, of course, I know that some would disagree, but um, whether it's the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, or the Washington Post, some of those big traditional newspapers still seem to be able to do the job. They have online subscriptions that are available, but it doesn't, done, as you know, give you the local news that uh, is so important as well. But I do think you make a good point. It is important for us to um, broaden uh, our uh, sources of news. But as you mentioned uh, in the earlier segment about young people, everything they get is on their phone. And, you know, whatever their, quote, favorite sites are, they have bookmarked, if you will. And uh, that's all they're reading. That's all they're consuming. 
Well, that's that's uh, that's dangerous. I mean, it's just plain dangerous uh, because you simply reinforce the position that you already are leaning toward to begin with, and and uh, so your mind is essentially not open, uh, and that's uh, that's not a good situation at all. Uh, we talk a lot about ethics. Uh, is there such a thing as ethics in politics, Bob? Does that exist? Well, I know that's. Uh... <laughs> I think it actually does. I mean, there are things where people are crossing lines, um, but I do believe that most of what I see, and I'm covering only the North Carolina General Assembly, most folks, whether it's campaign finances in terms of properly recording the campaign contributions they get and not taking bags of money uh, in a bathroom as a former Speaker of the House once did and got caught and you know went to jail for it. I think that's more of the exception and not the rule. But I do think that there are positions that f- folks are having to take to toe the line that may not be so much theirs, but they're being told by their leadership, you must vote this way. Uh, and if you don't, we might gerrymander, i.e. change your district next time, or we might put a bunch of money and primary you, or we'll make you pay a price. And that's a bit of an ethical dilemma, if you will, where maybe, you know, you're a representative of a district and you do have convictions and beliefs about something, but you're not really able to hold on to that if the leadership is telling you something else or to do something else. And there are so many issues, even the things we were talking about earlier about elections and changing the election law. Where does it come from? You know, is it something that the leadership wakes up one day in North Carolina and decides, let's do some things that might make voting harder, even though we've got evidence that our voting laws are good, where we have more people voting than ever before in this in the history of the state. Let's do some things and we'll say that we're doing it under the name of security. Those ideas, Don, unfortunately, I think, come from the big think tanks or, you know, in Washington, D.C., the, you know, if it's the Democratic National Committee or the Republican National Committee, a lot of these ideas are kind of pushed from at that level down to the states. And then we see, you know, again, I'm kind of going back to the lawmaker who has to make that ethical decision. Do I vote my conscience? Do I vote what I think my people really want? Or do I take the vote that the leadership wants me to have? I see that a lot. That's the ethical dilemma I guess I see in Raleigh a lot. Well, you and I came up and a great deal of the population came up in that era where when something was written, when we saw something published, it met a standard and we could believe in it. Now with social media, almost anybody can say almost anything, uh, and uh, it's still written. And and with that background of belief that anything that's written has to have some amount of truth to it, uh, how do we handle that? How do we how do we uh, police people being able to use their freedom to of expression to accept to uh, really transmit lies? You know, I know exposing and transparency is uh, often thought of as the the best counter to all that. But then I think we're almost in a time of, you know, what does it matter? Because we see politicians at the highest levels flat out speak untruths, if you will. 
And maybe even there's attempts to try to hold that person accountable, but it still doesn't seem to really matter. Uh, whereas a generation ago, you know, a president had to resign because of wrongdoings and an impeachment and basically public outcry. Uh, but it's just like that seems like um, like another world. Uh, so I don't know, Don. I mean, it's really part of what we are seeing today in this shift with technology and information and sort of how it's delivered and what people see and consume. And um, it's sort of how do you put the genie back in the bottle or whatever? I don't know. It's it's troubling and uh, because it's creating a lot of divisiveness in our in our country, our culture, our society and our politics. Well, the judicial system at one point in time, at least, seemingly had more of a uh, uh, an acceptance by the general public that they were probably beyond politics. That's certainly not the case in this day and age because people run with the Republican or Democratic label uh, attached to them on the ballot. They are appointed by politicians who are either Republicans or Democrats. Uh, so is the judicial system really no longer is, I don't know, ex their decisions accepted by the public as, as they were, once were? I'm afraid that's correct. And I can tell you in North Carolina, a good example would be litigation that we were involved in that was successful a year ago where maps that the lawmakers had drawn were found to be unconstitutional because of what was called partisan gerrymandering. That case forced new maps to be drawn, which we which were used in the 2022 election. Uh, the uh, North Carolina State Supreme Court running, as you say, the justices who run for that, they do run under par partisan labels. And this year, that partisan gerrymandering case that we won was retried at the order of the new state Supreme Court. And they reversed the decision. They basically uh, overruled or threw out you know, our win. And so now, yet again, new maps will be drawn this fall by the North Carolina General Assembly. The only difference, Don, no facts that were presented were any different. The evidence is the same. The only difference is the composition of the court change. It went from a majority Democratic controlled to a majority Republican controlled. And everybody says, oh, well, you got the decision because the Democrats wanted, you know, wanted what you wanted. And, you know, we're saying that the Republican majority now just decided to toss it because they didn't like it. All that is a long story to say that that contributes to, I think, a lack of confidence that people have in the independence of our judiciary here in North Carolina. Well, that carries not only on state courts, but also the uh, Supreme Court. It does. You know, you've got a sitting justice who has some real ethical issues that came out that a millionaire was buying him, uh, well, lavishing him with <laughs> trips and gifts. And I don't know if there's anything accountable to that, but the court itself seems to be very divided. And just as you mentioned, who was appointed by whom versus, you know, you'd see sometimes a, just an example, a Republican appointed chief, not a chief justice, but justice to the U.S. Supreme Court over time might drift completely different from, you know, what the, the appointee, the appointer, rather, the Republican might have thought this justice would, you know, how they would vote. I think those days of it seemingly being an independent judiciary 
decision maker just doesn't seem to be like it once was. Well, we have to add that uh, during the uh, last presidential election, a number of court cases uh, were decided by Republican judges contrary to the views of uh, of the Republican Party. So there was at least uh, uh, that uh, to go back on and say, well, you know, there is there are judges that are going to take their job very seriously and try to render independent and uh, uh, complete thoughts based on the law and the Constitution. Great point, and you're right. And we do have to hold hope that many of the people who are at that position are indeed looking at things in that independent manner. And I think that's important. We certainly don't want to have a judiciary that doesn't have the faith and trust of the uh, of the American public. Our guest is Bob Phillips, Executive Director of Common Cause North Carolina, and we'll be back with one final segment right after these messages. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, Bob Phillips. Uh, we've said that Bob, of course, has been with us a number of times, former member of the WPTF news staff, and later uh, press secretary for Lieutenant Governor Dennis Wicker before becoming executive director of Common Calls North Carolina, a bipartisan uh, group that lobbies on behalf of of uh, issues that involve voting and, and uh, the rights of the public. Bob, uh, we were talking about the North Carolina redistricting. We we seem like we are always redistricting, but we'll be doing it again. Uh, when will that be done, and and uh, how will that be done this time? Any different than it's been done in the past? I wish I could say it would be different. It's going to be done in uh, a special session, probably coming up in August or September. As we're speaking, the General Assembly is still working on trying to uh, come up with a budget uh, agreement, and that may stretch into uh, the rest of June and into July. But the North Carolina General Assembly has been tasked once again with drawing a new state house, a new Senate, and a new congressional map. The process 
unfortunately, is still where the party in power really gets to draw the maps. And uh, we as an organization, Common Cause, has always felt that that's wrong, whether it's Democrats are in charge or Republicans, that the um, I guess the cliche is, you know, lawmakers should not be drawing their own districts. They should not be choosing their voters. The voters should be choosing the lawmakers. We have ideas about how it could be done better. But, Don, as you can imagine, those ideas, uh, whether Democrats are in control or Republicans are in control, uh, those proposals go nowhere. And uh, that's kind of where we are right now. Have other states found ways to uh, achieve independent redistricting? They have. That's a great question, Don. And it's one we are talking about all the time. Where it has worked is where you have a ballot initiative. You know, a citizen can get something on the ballot. And we've seen it in uh, Michigan um, and in California and in Illinois and a variety of states. And uh, the people put on the ballot that they think that uh, map making should be done by an independent commission, independent citizens commission. And that's kind of how that has worked. And generally, I mean, this is not something that has been going on for a lot of years. California kind of first started doing this kind of first started it, I guess, with this Independent Citizens Commission, maybe about 20 years. But there have been certainly evidence already that it's taking some of that partisan politics out. But as you know, Don, we do not have that uh, avenue in North Carolina. Only the legislature uh, can actually put anything on the ballot. The citizens do not have that opportunity or right. There are some organizations that are trying to push for a citizen initiative. I think that's a double-edged sword. It can be good, but it can also be bad. California is a prime example of where it can go uh, in the wrong direction, perhaps. But um, that's where it has happened, though, Don, is where the citizens are able to get enough names on a petition, get something on the ballot, and then uh, a fair match proposal gets enacted into law by a referendum. I'll switch uh... Oh, you go to a national issue because, as you said, Common Cause is a national organization. You happen to be the executive director of the North Carolina uh, branch. But uh, let's talk about the electoral college system. What's your view and what is the view of your organization regarding that particular way of electing a president of the United States? I think it's archaic. We support the national popular vote. I mean, you think about governor, senator, all the elections that we have uh, down from the state's highest elected office of governor down to the city council. Uh, it's it's majority you know, vote, popular vote. And so I guess it could be why is it that in you know this country we don't have that, but we have this assigned states with based on their um, congressional representation, and it's kind of a winner-take-all with the exception of, um, I think, two states. Uh, so it's archaic. And we're, we've seen, what is it, three or four of the last presidential elections where the winner is actually not the winner of the, the popular vote, but only the electoral college formula. And, it, you, you know, you see North Carolina, we're a battleground state. So that means we get a lot of attention, a lot of money. And in a lot of ways, that's good. I guess it benefits us. But states that aren't battleground states, they don't get any attention. The candidates never go there. And um, the more activity you have, the more information is out there and the more voter enthusiasm there is. And uh, so states that aren't, quote, battleground states that are 
solid blue or solid red, uh, they don't get that attention. Uh, and that's a part of the problem, too. Whereas if it was a national popular vote, every vote matters. And candidates may go to obscure places because they think they can, you know, gain some ground uh, there. So, again, I know I'm prattling on and on about it, but Common Cause certainly does believe that the Electoral College should be scrapped. Well, North Carolina is uh, has become a very important state. Not only are we growing and certainly now clearly a top 10 state, but we're also very purple. And uh, so uh, do you think we'll get to the point where we can truly say as North Carolina goes, so goes the nation? Hmm. Interesting question. Um, you know, I don't know if we're, quote, quite yet a bellwether state, but um, you're right, though. We're very evenly divided politically, and it's a matter of really getting that participation out uh, from you know both parties to kind of maintain that. But uh, uh, as we are in that kind of purple zone and with all the growth, uh, I don't know that I see anything changing anytime soon. And so there could be a, a point to be made as as our state goes, so goes the nation. Bob, uh, you have been following politics for a long time. If you were asked, and I'm going to ask this for two ways, if you were asked to give advice to the Democratic Party in North Carolina about what they need to do and advice to the Republican Party about what they need to do to become a uh, a source of better government, well, I think it's maybe both parties need to look at where they're not connecting uh, to people across North Carolina. The Democratic Party, Don, uh, I would say, needs to connect with uh, communities that are just not the urban areas, places like where you grew up. And I grew up in the great state of Mecklenburg, but where my parents grew up in uh, Catawba County and my mom grew up in a Hereford County. But those counties that are not in the urban areas where Democrats aren't connecting and they need to figure out how to do a better job of that. I think the Republican Party, kind of the same notion, but figuring out how to broaden their base and make sure that, um, you know, voters of color, blacks, uh, the Latinx, uh, young voters, urban voters um, are, are connected to it where, you know, Republicans have a message that can be appealing because w this division is largely in, you know, blue areas or cities, red areas or rural counties. And then that creates this what we call urban rural divide. That's also another thing that people say. But I think both parties need to look beyond their traditional base and try to branch out and broaden their appeal. And uh, I think that moderates, you know, the positions, too because you have to kind of moderate your position to be able to appeal to a, a broader base of voters. What is media's role in politics now? Uh, as we discussed earlier, the cable networks are decisively one way or the other. Is there a role somewhere where someone could come in and be that source of news that is basically as unbiased as is possible? You know, I'd like to think so, because I'll say this, when we are particularly on college campuses and we let them know we're nonpartisan, that's an appealing 
uh, aspect for us because I think whether it's young people or anyone, they're um, leery of that extreme partisan view that comes from, even though that's where we go to get our news, I do think there is a lane and space for something that is objective and something that is nonpartisan, but it's just yet to be seen how to fill it. Technology is a big part of it. We've talked about it before. The whole the, the advertising dollars that newspapers relied on is just gone because of technology. And the online is still difficult for them to kind of, um, you know, make their money. But I, I do think and hope that sometime in our lifetime, there will be something that replaces and rivals what we once had. And that was a robust objective media uh, in all forms, radio, newspaper, online, what have you, because we, uh, we sorely need it. Well, it is uh, certainly something that has happened right before our eyes, the demise of the newspaper, the demise of the importance of the three basic networks, uh, ABC, NBC, and CBS, as far as their importance, and of course the rise of the independent cable channels, with all those hours to fill, they seemingly get on a, a binge and they have to fill a tremendous amount of hours. Uh, and that causes, uh, I think, uh, them to overplay the importance of many issues. I think you're right. I know even at the local level, you know, the even that has expanded where once upon a time, six o'clock was that half hour for the local news. And it starts as early as four or four thirty. And when I talk to reporters, they're constantly having, and the words are, uh, feed the beast. They have to feed the beast. And um, when you're doing that, you don't have the time, perhaps, to make sure all your facts are right, or you're having to just rush to do a story, get something on the air. That's true at the national level as well. That's where mistakes are made. And sometimes seeking out what that sensational element is that's going to draw the viewer or reader in. Uh, prevails at the expense of accuracy and ob and objectivity. Well, there's no doubt that uh, sensational news, murders, rapes, robberies, and, and crime uh, seemingly has a bigger draw than uh, news about what might be happening in uh, legislation of, uh, affecting agriculture, for example. Uh, that's just a, a fact that we have to live with. And uh, the more time the local stations spend on news, they're basically repeating the same news over and over and over. They are. Uh, and that's a shame, too, because, you know, you just kind of wonder, like, well, why am I subscribing to this whatever if I'm just seeing something that I've already read or consumed in some other manner? I do think technology does offer new, innovative, creative ways to offer information to all of us. That's the positive, but we've got to figure out how to harness it to something where there is more objectivity, there is more accuracy. Uh, I know you and I think wistfully of the old days, but there were a lot of good things about the old style journalism, and maybe somehow we can get it back sometime. Bob, thank you so much for being our guest and for your views and opinions. Bob Phillips, Executive Director of Common Calls North Carolina. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast or selected parts. Jason Kong has produced our program and he'll have another guest for us next week on this same group of stations. So next week, have a good week, everybody.
Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.